Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I am your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a Q&A. Another Q&A today, guys. So, so we're we going to... We got six questions. Continuing on from last week, yeah. We'll see if we get them in. Usually, I feel like, I feel like for a while I've been thinking... Did you... You just said... See if we'll get it, get it, get them in. Yeah, because I feel like the last few we've really only gotten six at most. Because I always think like yeah. we got a bunch of questions today, and yeah, we do, yeah, yeah. and then it's like I end up fucking. I'm like, oh, this one will be a quick answer. Yeah. Well, you're, fifteen minutes later. Last week, your salt and water went for forty five minutes. I know that was a good question. Yeah, but I didn't think it was gonna go like that. Yeah, but no. but I think it just goes back to uh, the the value point. You know, it's like might as well go longer and have more detail. Yeah. That's what we're about. Totally. So, all right, cool. Well, we will start it off. The first one is from FZX girl. Free weights or machines? What's better and why? I wonder what FZX stands for. FZX probably stands for three letters in the alphabet. Potentially. Yep. That wouldn't be very cool, but um, <laughs> I think hopefully she's got a better, cool. better reason for that. Um, What's better, free weights or machines? Yep. Man, that is such a – I feel like that's a question you can't even answer, really, because – Different. It's. I mean, it just – it depends. Uh, okay, I would, I would switch this into two, two routes. If, if, she, if you were to ask me, if you had to live with one of these two for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? I'd easily say free weights. Yeah. So the reason I would choose free weights for a few reasons. Number one – I think it's potentially a biasy of mine because I was just like, I say raised, but like from a career perspective, <laughs> like brought up, yeah. we'll say in a, in a dungeon style garage gym, you know, similar, I mean like really similar to what I have here now, right? Turf, barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, sandbags, free weights, bar, like bars to hang from different racks. Like we have a couple machines, plate loaded leg extension, leg curl, and a lat pull down. But for the most part, it's it's all free weights, you know. Um, so, you know, and and I like cable machines, but I just like I've never been one that spent a lot of time around leg presses and hack press machines and row machines and and all that stuff because it's just not what I. I mean, the first gym I worked at was strength conditioning facility. Yeah, just what I've always been around on. Um, so potentially a bias, but the other side of me too, you know. I think that there's there's pros and cons of both. Now, typically, I think the the pro I would say, and this is like my second part of the answer, the pro for machines potentially is probably going to be, I think there's a few things here. One, maybe a newbie. And I go back and forth on this because I think there's a lot of pros for a newbie to use free weights because it forces you to uh, recruit more motor units and, and really develop skill acquisition, which is the, the skill of actually lifting weights, which is very neurological. Like give them a kettlebell and make them do a goblet squat, teach them how to squat, right? That's, that's a valuable lesson or training style or modality for a newbie. But at the same time, you put them on a machine, they can learn how to contract the muscle, pretty injury risk-free. You know, you do a leg extension, probably not going to get hurt. You just got to push the machine, right? It's not that big of a deal. You fail, oh well, you fail. Um, back squat, you fail. You could get fucked up. You can yeah. get pretty hurt. So I think there's value in machines from a perspective of teaching somebody how to maximally contract a muscle because there's a lot of people who just don't know how to actually contract a muscle to its maximum potential, which might sound weird for some listeners, but it is an actual skill to be able to contract your muscle as hard as 
fucking possible. It's also a skill to be able to take your muscle to a fully stretched position because if we're doing a full range of motion, bicep curl, for example, we're yeah. taking our bicep, our, our elbow to a fully locked position. Technically, it actually means rotating your wrist into a certain position, pulling your shoulder into hyperextension because you're trying to really stretch that muscle belly as far as you can. And it requires some knowledge and skill. Um, a machine your range of motion is limited by what that machine will do, which is also why I don't really like machines as much. Mm. However, for a newbie, that might be helpful because it's just like the the information or education curve just drops significantly. It's extremely easy to use. Um, so that's helpful. I think they're also helpful when we consider injury. You know, like when I was on crutches, it, like it would have been nice to be able to go to a public gym and just sit on a machine and, and press and sit on a machine and row and sit on a machine curl and stuff because I don't got to worry about my legs. If I was in a functional gym, I'm trying to like crutch to the bench and then make sure I don't apply pressure on it and like stand on one foot and do this. So it's hard, you know? So I think it's better for that. The other thing I would say is, is sometimes for hypertrophy, there's a lot of people who are bodybuilders who are jacked and look amazing and they use a lot of machines. I think part of that is because again, it's very easy to contract your muscles without the added neurological um, fatigue or stress component because I can get just as much of a muscular stimulus out of doing a barbell exercise as I could a machine exercise. However, the barbell exercise requires a lot of secondary muscles, core, stability muscles around the joint, so on and so forth. Um, not to mention just the balance component where your heart rate's going now, it's metabolically fatiguing. It requires more skill because you have to go through the range of motion on your own control versus just doing the range of motion that the machine allows you to do. And what that does is it makes the exercise more fatiguing for the same bang for your buck as a machine might have, right? So if we're considering just bodybuilding or just hypertrophy, sometimes a machine might take, uh, might trump the, the, the free weight because I can stimulate that muscle harder without also stimulating my nervous system as hard. So if we look at long-term fatigue and recovery for some people, especially if you're training five, six days a week, like some bodybuilders do, it might be better to use more machines because of that neurological component. However, most people I work with, including myself, usually are training anywhere from three to five days a week. And because of that, I'm not as worried about the neurological fatigue. So I'd rather stimulate the nervous system more because if we consider strength, skill, uh, dynamic sport, athletic ability, movement, um, and also even the component of getting older, your nervous system slows down, which is going to help or that's going to decrease neurological capabilities through life. Even stuff like we've talked about where like old people fall and hurt themselves as the leading cause of death. Yeah. Well, if their nervous system was still firing fashion, maybe they'd catch themselves better, you know, depends on the situation, obviously. But um, if we only use machines, we take that component out. Free weights, we don't. So it, it can be a disadvantage if you go too hard, but it can also be an <clears throat> advantage if, if you're training within your recoverable means. Um, I also think that the skill from a movement perspective and the stress adaptation your joints and tendons and ligaments have through free weights is can be harder from you know, like you're going to get sore from it but i think it's better long term cuz you're going to build resiliency in your joints because you have to control the range of motion more. Again, a machine doesn't have anchors actually controlling your range of motion. Your body is controlling that. Yeah. You know, on a machine, if I'm pressing, I just have these little handles and I can just push them like a platform. They're going in this exact path and all I got to do is press force can be beneficial for certain reasons, but with dumbbells, if I can learn how to go really heavy and maintain a straight pressing pathway and keeping my joints stable, I'm getting a lot of benefit out of that. Yes, it's stressful at first, but as you adapt, your joints become more resilient. So for injury prevention, I actually would favor 
free weights as well. Um, and then strength, obviously, I think free weights are better because strength is very specific. And typically, that means doing the barbell lifts and stuff like that. Um, explosive work, athletic work, machines, or I'm sorry, uh, free weights always because you can't really do explosive work with machines. Maybe like an explosive press, but you got to be careful not break the cable stack. You yeah. know, it's like, so it's hard. Um, I typically would go with free weights. If, if like, I mean, if we're weighing out po- pros and cons for the majority of people. Yeah, I think, free be- I think better is the, is a wrong word here. Mm-hmm. Which one's better? Because it depends on the situation. Yeah. yeah. I would say for most people though, free weights tend to be better, quote unquote, or just more optimal there you for go. what they want. Um, but again, you know, if I have somebody who is a, a bodybuilder who is strictly trying to put on muscle mass and he is he or she is training five or six days a week, I'm still going to use free weights, but I'm probably going to use a hell of a lot more machines because I need to make sure that we're training with as much volume as possible without breaking down from not being able to recover from it. You Mm. know what I mean? And actually that's a good point too, because if we look at a lot of research study that shows these like insane amounts of volume to peak muscle growth, a lot of times they are doing lat pull down, leg press and bench press. Like those are three classic ones, right? Um, Because you can regulate them really well and it's a push, a pull and a lower body dominant movement. But two of those are machines. One of them is free weights. So if we look at that, that's way, like if you were to do that same study, but do barbell squat, bench press and uh, like a barbell bent row, like your neurological fatigue would go through the roof and your secondary muscle group um, component would go through the roof. A bent row, you're working your entire back, including your low back and your hips because you're stabilizing that position and your core. You know, a barbell squat, fuck, you're using a ton. Yeah. Um, And it takes more skill than a leg press. So I think if we redid those studies, maybe they wouldn't be able to handle as much volume because the neurological component too. We don't know because that's just hypothesis. But um, in general, I think that's where it, it depends. And I think with... Most of the people that listen to this podcast, myself included, and most of the clients we work with, a lot of them don't just want to get as big as possible. A lot of them want to look as good as they can, but they also want to optimize how they feel, how strong they are, their health, their movement, those kind of things as well. And I think to get to that place, ultimately, you have to you have to like consider that balance. And I yeah. think free weights kind of trump. Totally. So. Yeah, a lot of different scenarios there that could be either way. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to go to the next one is from Sarah Tanner. It says, if I'm planning to jump into a 10-week deficit, can I cut 500 calories from the start and stick with the deficit the whole time? It's a good question. I think it all depends on where you start at. You know, because, so for, did she say how much she weighs? No, okay. Um, so for example, if somebody came to me and they're like, I'm 130 pounds and I want to be between 120 and 123 pounds. Like, okay, you want to lose seven to 10 pounds. And she said she has 10 weeks, right? Is it 10 weeks? Yes, 10-week deficit. Okay. 10-week deficit, that's about a pound a week, give or take, because we can sacrifice a couple weeks. 500 calories per week typically is one pound a week. But somebody who's 130 pounds, if they're truly at maintenance when they come to me, 500-calorie deficit is a big deficit. You know what I mean? Um, If somebody comes to me and they're 300 pounds and they're consuming 3,000 calories, 500-calorie deficit isn't as big as somebody who's consuming 1,500 and weighs 130 pounds. You know, it's, it's, so it's a completely different scenario. Um, granted, I think the person at 300 pounds is obviously going to lose at a steady rate too because they're making a lot of lifestyle changes. The person in between there is where I don't think you would be able to go 10 weeks straight without. But I've seen situations, you know, where I've had situations, I can think of one guy specifically where I dropped him about 500 calories 
and I've done this with many t- people, so this is a good strategy for coaches listening to. Drop 500 calories to create a deficit, but then increase protein after you drop the calories. So then they end up only dropping two to 300 calories technically, but it's only because we increase protein. So if they're eating like, let's say their body weight and protein and they have their carbs and fat, you pull 500 calories of carbs and fats, but then you give 200 to 300 of those calories back to protein. So now they're eating over their body weight and protein, which will not get stored as fat and it's gonna increase the thermic effect food. It ends up seeing a pretty similar fat loss result, but they're eating more, which hopefully cross your fingers might mitigate some metabolic adaptation. It's hard to say because they haven't done any diets with ultra high protein intakes while tracking metabolic adaptation. However, we know that it's going to keep satiation up and it is calories and calories are the predominant factor that determines metabolic adaptation. So that's something I've done and it's worked really well. And I've done that with people. um, And I can think of a guy specifically, his name is Matt, got crazy results. And I don't think we touch his calories for much longer than 10 weeks. I think I'm thinking like probably at least 12. So about three months, maybe even four months where it was just like, fuck dude, we don't got to touch anything. Just keep going. And it was just pound after pound after pound. <laughs> like every week he just kept losing. Um, and it wasn't until he got pretty damn lean where we had to start tweaking stuff. So in some cases, yeah, you could, you very well could. In other cases you can't because maybe you can't adhere. 500 calories might be a big deficit to you. Yeah. And if you get to week six and you're just starving you're dying for food and stuff you might fall off the diet you know so maybe you do a 500 calorie deficit and you don't need to go deeper for 10 weeks but you got to take a diet break in there because otherwise you're going to get too stressed um and then in some situations you might have reversed like if somebody has a really uh, a highly adaptive metabolism maybe they reverse dieted after their last diet up thousand calories and then they pull 500 calories, it's not putting them in a huge deficit because they're still in that maintenance range. And if that's the case, you're going to end up getting to a point where you got to adjust again, maybe pretty damn soon. Because again, if you're normal, if you finish the diet at 1500 and then you reverse up to 2,500, but didn't gain any weight, you dropping 500 calories probably isn't going to do much because your yeah. metabolism is super adaptive. You got to get closer to that 1500 that you finished off with. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people get frustrated because our bodies kind of have these like thresholds and it's like the whole thermostat thing. You know, your body regulates back to that temperature, so to speak, for your metabolic pace. Um, I know plenty of people who, no matter how well the reverse diet goes, we always got to get them back down to that one number to get them losing weight again. And it's it's somewhat unexplainable because how can you do, I mean, you'd have to follow people for two years and take them through multiple cuts and bulks to eat or like cuts and reverse diets to even determine what's really going on through a study, which mm-hmm. isn't going to happen. Um, so Not it's hard to say many people. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say. The other thing I would say too is, is why does it matter? You know, it shouldn't matter to you. It's a good question. And I think it's good that you're questioning that because then you have more info, but I also think going into it, don't be so focused on what adjustments are going to need to be made. If 500 calorie deficit is the right move to make at the beginning, make that and then just stick with it week to week and just see where you go. If you stall, you stall. Take a diet break and or drop calories more because that's what you need to do. If you're determined to get to the goal, do what you got to do to get to the goal, right? But also, there's no magic uh, with the 500 calorie number. Okay. Gotcha. Um, for people listening and even for you because I'm sure you weren't aware of this as much, but um, typically they always say 500 calories because... 500 times seven is 3,500. 3,500 calories is technically one pound of fat So, if, from an energy perspective. So if you want to lose one pound of fat per week, you have to cut 500 calories per day in order to burn 3,500 calories a week to lose one pound of fat. Granted, it does work sometimes. However, everybody's metabolism and body size is in history, metabolic history is different. So for somebody who 
again, is only consuming 1,500 at maintenance versus 2,500 at maintenance. It's a different story, you know? How adaptive your metabolism is a different story. I always tend to go off percentages because it's more accurate to the person. Same reason why we say uh, 0.5 to 1% of yeah. total body weight per week lost is a good rate of weight loss. Well, anywhere between 10 to 25% is probably going to be where you need to go for your first adjustment. And then anywhere between 5 to 15% is going to be your future adjustment. So when you start the deficit, make a at least 10 but up to 25% deficit. And then as you make adjustments down the road when you plateau, you're making 5 to 10% cuts. That's a good safe bet to go. Um, most research studies actually do like 25 to 35% deficit when they're doing studies because they want to guarantee fat loss so they can see the result and test it, um, which a lot of people forget and they're so afraid to go into deficit and they're like, why aren't I losing weight? I'm doing this strategy that's based on science. Yeah. I'm like you are, but you're not doing it nearly as aggressive as they do in the study. So you probably need to cut more calories. Yeah. You know, but Damn. yeah, I think it's about as good as I can answer that one. For sure. That's great. All right, so the next comes from Kruger Kroken. I think that's how you spell it. Kronikin. 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 I want to go all or nothing on my pro wrestling pro wrestling career, but I'm freaking scared. Mm. Is this a warning or is it a sign to quote unquote go for it 100%? Damn, this is dope. I'm an all-in kind of guy. Yeah, I know. I think if you're thinking about it, go all-in, man. Because here, here's the deal. Like, in my opinion, if if you don't go all-in, you're going to regret it. If you do go all-in, you might fail. But you're not going to regret not trying. Yeah. Nobody has ever regretted failing. Plenty of people are disappointed as fuck or frustrated when they fail, right? None of us like to fail. A lot of us get disappointed, frustrated. Some people get disheartened. Maybe don't try again for right or wrong. Maybe it freaked them out more or maybe that they realized it wasn't for them. Either way, nobody's ever re regretted. Nobody says, I regret trying that, right? You never do. Even if you fail, you're like, well, I'm, I'm glad I at least tried, right? But if you don't try in 10 years, it's going to be too late yeah. and then you're going to be really regretting <clears throat> it. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, in what situation wouldn't you? No, 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 no. I said it possibly be too late. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but hypothetically yeah. a lot of the times it is yeah and Absolutely. even if it technically isn't from like a physical perspective yeah it is at a mental you're checked oh, out by that point amen because yeah. you're like man like yeah. that was my dream 10 years ago yeah. you know um i mean should i have a, i have a guy uh right now that shout out to bill he he's one of my clients and he same exact position when he came to me so he's training with me tra doing training nutrition well he's doing nutrition then he's in the tailor trainer um and he's got to be down at least 20 i mean he's getting lean like he's lost a lot of weight mental game is way higher all that stuff and uh and he's wanted to do this for a while and he just went to do what uh wrestling oh went to smackdown had it had he got the opportunity to do like a side gig in it or i think it was smackdown um and then he's going or maybe he's going for a tryout now because he got accepted for a tryout after he did the side gig at one of the other wwe events and then he got invited back for another wwe event now so they're going to keep him on the roster for future positions and blah 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 but basically all within the last like couple weeks and he's been working with me for six months damn but it was like who do you need to become to be that role right? It's like, well, I need to be leaner. I need to be stronger. I need to be more resilient mentally. I need to be more motivated. I need to be more confident. Dope. Let's build that. You know what I mean? But so even if it's like, you know, to Kronikin, like maybe it's not just go do it right now. It's like, yeah, fucking do it. But if you're going to do it, go all in. And that means 
if that means transforming your physique, it means transforming your physique. If it means going through some like mental practice to get you resilient, it maybe even become the character you need to become, you know, like shit, even doing like uh, stuff like improv and stuff yeah. like that, because that builds a level of confidence for you in, in front of people and like character. nothing else does in character. Yeah. yeah. Cause I even tell that to people who want to public speak, you know, it's just the idea of getting in front of people and putting on your show, putting out your information, do whatever you got to do in front of people and not being scared, timid, uh, insecure, lacking yeah. confidence. You know what I mean? Being nervous as fuck, which is hard to do when you're in front of people, let alone thousands of people yeah. in WWE. So do what you got to do to become that person. But man, if you sleep on it, you'll regret it. Yeah. Did you know that there is a TV show, a behind the scenes TV show that shows the tryouts for AEW? Mm-mm. So it's kind of like a like a it's a show of people that are trying to get on the show. Oh, dope. like trying to get into the AEW. It's like their training camp, yeah. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, I just saw it on a commercial last night. Oh, dope. this guy is like, it's not all about being strong. It's not all about being able to wrestle. You got to be a character. You yeah. have to be able to act. You yeah. have to be able to make realistic, be emotional, and you know, and all that other you stuff. You have to get into that character. Exactly. You really exactly. do. And if you look at the greatest <clears throat> wrestlers in the sport, yeah. like they all, oh God, they're people Embrace. that people want to watch. Yeah. They're not just genetic freaks or, yeah. I mean, some of them are that too. Some of them are fucking jacked, but yeah. a lot of them need to be that character as well. So I think that's, it's huge. But again, like I think this applies to anybody in the sense that if you have a goal, if you have a dream, if you have a passion, if you have something you want to accomplish, like... I'm always leaning on the side of just go for it because, yeah. I mean, first of all, why not? Yeah. When when you say, you know, being all about go all in and stuff, mm-hmm. do, you ever, do you ever have, like, fear? When I, and we don't need to go into a 30-minute thing about this, but yeah. I'm just wondering, do you, like, when you go all in, do you ever have fear or, like, <laughs> I mean, if I'm being transparent, I was talking to somebody the other day, mm-hmm. and I was telling them about getting this other part of this warehouse. I was like, we have absolutely no reason <laughs> to get this warehouse right now essentially cody yeah. bought it so no one else will buy it yeah and so because he knows what the blueprint for our company is that yeah. we will need it yeah in eight nine months or or whatever it may be yeah I, I mean they're like even if we can't afford it right now he's still gonna do it and they were like does he ever like scared that that won't happen or like i go absolutely not yeah i think I mean, it's a very uh, valid question. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I, think, I was just like, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like it has fear. Yeah, so I think that the way my brain works now is uh, act now, fear later. Whether that's advice or not for people, I can't tell you. <laughs> if it's good or bad yeah. advice, I don't know. <laughs> but it's fine. But I think that's where, like, I think a lot of people, like, the way people's brain operate. like, I even think about, like, like, a chess player, for example. A chess player looks at the board, right, and they're so analytical that the way they operate is if I move here, they're going to move here, 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 here. I can't do that. If I move here, they're going to go here, here. You know what I mean? I don't do that shit. I go, I moved. Then I see where they move and I go, oh shit. Okay, now I got to move again, which in chess would, I would be a horrible chess player. But I do think that sometimes in business and in life in general for accomplishing goals, I think you do have to act now. It's like the whole, uh, uh, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness, right? I kind of look at it the same way act now and worry about the consequences or fears or scarcity later because I operate best when there is a fire under my ass and my back is in the corner, right? If I'm pressed up against the corner, I will make shit happen. So a lot of times for me, if an opportunity comes up, I don't think too much about what the next moves are. I don't think about 
the risks or anything like that until after it's solidified. Once I sign the paper and I publicly say I'm doing this, then I start going through all those things. And sometimes it does freak me out. Sometimes it stresses me out. Um, this whole last two weeks has been super fucking stressful because not just because of that, but there's other layers to the growth and what we're doing right now that just kind of stack on it. And I think it's even worse when it's like, that would be a grab opportunity. Let's do it. Oh, that's another grab opportunity. Let's do it. Oh, that's a good one too. Let's do it. And then you're like, oh shit. Now I got these three things stacked on top of each other. All of which are great. All of which are extremely expensive. All of which do layer in some risk, but at the end of the day, it's going to make us grow into what I want it to grow into. And then it's just about making it happen. And I trust myself enough to know that I will under pressure. Mm -hmm. So, and I do think like, again, it's not like literal advice to just go start fucking pulling the trigger on everything you see just because but I do think like if it's related to something you're extremely confident in um it's related to something that you have a serious passion for then I do think you should pull the trigger now and worry about the fear later because otherwise you won't because fear debilitates you right I would rather fear what I've already done and figure out a solution because I'm already here than fear what I'm about to do because I guarantee I'm not going to do it if I fear it first. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if we're scared, fuck, action is hard. I'm not going to take action on this because I realize the consequences and the risks that are potentially going to rise. Now I'm too scared and I'm going to pass up an opportunity. And then guess what? I'm going to regret it. Yeah. You know? And like you said, in a space like this, for where we're at, pricing, location, real estate, space, all those kind of things, I'm not going to get into the opportunity like this. Yeah. No, I- you know what I mean? And the time is now. So it's kind of like, well, and it, on top of me being like, yeah, I could do that. They were like, actually, you know, can you do it two months sooner? And I'm like, Fuck. yeah, all right, like, let's do it, you know, but it's going it, to, it, then the other thing with this too is like, we've had some ideas of what we want to create inside the business and outside the business. And it's impossible without something like that. Yeah. Right. And now those things are going to happen sooner and for sure. Whereas beforehand it was an idea. Now it's like, if I don't do it, it's just an excuse because I have the space. I have the means to do it now. You know what I mean? So um, one of which for sure will be a seminar of some sort yeah. for people listening. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, that's a good question. Like, I, I'm not like uh, immune to fear, but I think I, I consider fear last. I act first. Yeah. Which is a hard thing to make a habit, but I would say a lot of it's successful a, it's people a, probably uh, do. It's an entrepreneurial attribute Ask, yeah yeah i think a lot of people have that that are entrepreneurs and successful and stuff yeah. but it definitely doesn't happen that's where like we were talking about this on one of the other episodes where it's like uh there's no hack here it's just action totally. so like people are like well the next question would be well how do you create that attribute or how do you become that way you just start doing it yeah and then you realize like oh that worked I put my back against the wall and it worked i'm gonna do that more i'm gonna force myself into that position more often um which is also i've heard people talk about this too where it's like um, you almost overcommit to things, which can be an issue for some people. But I also think if you can learn to tame that, it, it pushes you to a level that you wouldn't have realized you were capable of. Because if you're so conservative with what you say yes to and what you like commit to and try to do, you're limiting yourself because you really don't know your maximum capacity. Whereas I took the route of like, and this is just because it was rubbed on me and influenced on me, but like, yes, 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 yes. Let's do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Until I was like, oh shit, I'm pretty fucking overwhelmed, but I'm doing way more than I thought I ever could. So now I just got to figure out how to manage this a little bit better. Yeah. And now I can manage doing way more than what I've ever thought I could have. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
I want to take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast and shout out our sponsor, Legion Athletics, the world's number one best-selling brand of all natural sports supplements. Guys, if you're listening to this, you probably take supplements. I'm assuming you take away protein. You probably have some pre-workout. If you're really focused on health, you might take a, a multivitamin, a greens drink, a fish oil, whatever it is. Legion probably has it. And they are going to be using science-backed ingredients. Everything is actually dosed effectively and clinically proven. Everything is naturally sweet, sweetened and flavored. Everything is lab-tested, made in the U.S., and you're going to get a money-back guarantee. So the reason I'm bringing this up is not only because they're a podcast sponsor, but I truly value the team at Legion, and I truly value what they are doing in the supplement space. And one of the things that is really frustrating for a lot of people that come to us is trying to find a brand where they can actually get quality supplements and they can trust the result that's going to come from them. Most people just search Amazon for the best result they can find, and they trust Amazon reviewers. And don't get me wrong, if something has a lot of stars and good reviews, that's awesome. But you can also pay people to leave reviews. So go with a company that you can trust that is backed up not only by science and actual researchers in the lab doing things, but coaches like myself who have tons of experience and use this stuff on a regular basis. So guys, stop wasting money. Stop searching and searching and searching for the best product out there and just jump on Legion Athletics. They are the best and I promise you that. You can head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save 20% on your first order and start earning points so you can get kickbacks on future orders and eventually free products. So one more time, that's buylegion.com slash boom boom. Without any further ado, let's get back into the podcast. All right, let's move on to the next question is from Abby. It says, struggling with thinking my training sessions aren't effective unless we are performing at 100% maximum intensity. These are for her training sessions along along with her clients. How can fat loss be successful if the workout isn't quote-unquote hard enough? Because your workout isn't the only determining factor of fat loss, first and foremost. Second of all, caloric expenditure from a quote-unquote intense workout is truly splitting hairs because you kind of have one of two workouts, right? Like, and it's not always this way. I think this is like overly simplifying it, but I think it's a good way for most people to look at it. Unless you're an elite bodybuilder or something crazy like that, this is how most gen pop people should look at it. You have the type of workouts that burn a lot of calories during the workout, but there's not a ton of long-term or post-exercise payoff, meaning you're not going to be burning calories for hours on end afterwards or days on end. You're not going to be building a ton of muscle, which is going to increase your metabolic rate. You're not going to improve health and habits and lifestyle that's going to enhance. So basically like your, your caloric expenditure is def- confined into that window of exercise, right? Then we have the exercise that might not feel as intense because it doesn't burn as many calories during that session. But after the session, you build more muscle, you build more strength, you have better consistency, you have better adherence long-term, your metabolism might increase due to building more muscle, so on and so forth. And all those things, health and non-health components, lead to more caloric expenditure day-to-day. So they even themselves out, right? But that high-intensity, crazy circuit-style stuff might not be um, sustainable enough for you to keep doing it. So the one that feels like it's less, which is really doing just as much in the grand scheme of things, ends up doing more long-term because you can adhere to it week after week, month after month. And that's ultimately the thing, you know, like fat loss truly comes down to obviously caloric deficit, which a big piece of that is caloric expenditure. However, you can go on a walk and burn a lot of fucking calories. It's way more sustainable and less stressful than a circuit, right? Um, And a circuit style might burn just as much calories as a long walk, but be more stressful to the system and not allow you to train hard to build muscle. Going on a walk, you can still go 
do a muscle building session as well. And that's going to pay off long-term. So I think that if you can focus on habits, sleep and nutrition for fat loss and then training for strength and muscle, that's, that's really where the most success comes from. And if we look at anybody who has a successful physique or a successful coaching business with a lot of successful clients, that's what they do. Yeah. You know, they don't do a lot of those crazy intense, like I'm going to make you sweat as hard as fucking possible. Just insane workouts. You should push yourself really hard, but in a different way, yeah. you know, um, her, her exact question was, how do you know it's being effective? Uh, how can fat loss be successful if the workout isn't hard enough? Isn't quote unquote. Yeah. This is where I don't think people are going to get the most results with anybody who's just a trainer. Mm. doesn't mean you can't just be a trainer. Like I know I have friends in the industry that are, they just do training because that's what they love and that's awesome. But they also refer to nutritionists. Yeah. Because nutrition is where the fat loss is going to come. I mean, it's, you know, nutrition and then cardio or neat steps, stuff like that. That's like your fat loss tools. Training should be for strength, movement, performance, muscle, not necessarily fat loss. Are you going to lose fat while you train? Of course, you burn calories doing it. But the difference between a, like, uh, fat loss workout and a bodybuilding workout and a strength and conditioning workout from a caloric expenditure perspective is so small yeah. splitting hairs that why not do something that burns almost just as many calories except sets you up for a much better future success in other categories than the, than the one that burns more calories during the mm. session you know what i mean yeah totally you gotta think long term here so how can it be effective well it can be effective by doing something that's going to build and maintain muscle and strength while you cut via the diet so the answer is to not focus on what you're focusing on for fat loss. You should be focusing on nutrition and you should teach your clients that like teach them to focus on nutrition for fat loss and show them that strength training is primarily used for other aspects of health, muscle strength, performance, stuff like that. Gotcha. Cool. All right, let's move on to the next one is from Lynn Fleshman. She says sometimes changing one habit can be the impetus for major growth in a, in a person's life. Do you have a story like that from your own life? Is there something you've added or changed that ended up leading to major growth? Or has that ever happened to one of your clients that you know of? I haven't heard the word impetus in a long time. I believe that means uh, like the, I just had another I don't word. I have ever heard it. That's really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, the catalyst mm. to, yep. you know what I mean? Leads to, like she said at the end, like leads yep. to more growth. Um, training. That was my, that was my impetus. That was like the thing. That's why I always, I think that's why I'm, I'm so obsessed with training. Like I, I really think the more I grow as an entrepreneur and the older I get as a person, the more I realize that like training and nutrition isn't my passion, but personal development is. It's just that training and nutrition is one of the, the best ways for people to tap into that world of personal development. Like that's my vehicle Sub subcategory. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, I mean, it's literally personal development. Technically yeah. you're improving yourself. Yeah. But I think that it's easier to, you know, because if, if I talk to somebody, I'm like, hey, what do you want to improve about yourself? Usually they're not like, I want to be way better at being present and meditating, even though maybe they should be better at being present. Like, that's not the point. The point is people usually go, I would love to get lean. I would love to see abs. I want to build bigger biceps. You know, I want to have more energy. And it's like, cool, let's start there. Like, that's the path, right? That's the doorway. It's like the gateway drug, so to speak. Fitness and nutrition is the gateway drug to opening up to other things that are going to improve your ability to be a better human. And so for me, that was that thing. I, ne I never did, I mean, I didn't study anything. I didn't read books. I didn't listen to podcasts. I didn't 
do any personal development. I didn't train. I didn't eat well. I literally did nothing that had anything to do with improving myself or my life, honestly. I skateboarded, partied, hung out with friends. Like that was, and I was young, so it's normal. But I also had no drive in school, so I always got horrible grades. Didn't want to go to college. So I was always skipping class stuff. There was really no drive or anything. Then I started losing weight, and it like gave me this feeling of improving myself that I was got addicted to, and then it just started trickling. Obviously I, I stuck there and just went all the way in with that for a long time. But then that opened me up to reading fitness and nutrition, which opened me up to reading mindset, which opened me up to reading marketing. And then I just started learning and learning and learning. And now, now I just love learning, man. Like even about like, like the, the whole like flick in the fly thing, right? That's a random thing. But like, I heard that like the best way to kill a fly is flicking it. Shout out to Alex Turner. And I was like, <laughs> What? And so now I'm researching flies. Yeah. You know why? Because I just love fucking knowledge. Yeah. You know? It's just, it, it's just cool knowing shit. Honestly, that's like, I think that's the thing is it's really cool being able to do or so know cool. things. I'm going to tell you how to kill a fly yeah. really well, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, and for people listening, you gotta, you gotta slowly creep up on it and flick it yeah. apparently because they have sensors that trigger, that get triggered by the change in air. Right, so if you try to swat it, it can feel the wind before you even get close to it, and it flies away. But if you flick it, you can get really close to it, and it won't even sense you, and then you just flick the shit out of it. Um, that's a cool thing to learn. Flick the shit out of it. Flick the shit out of it. <laughs> but no, that's uh, true. I mean, having a, a a big bucket of knowledge is you never have a dry conversation. Yeah, you can just it's like pull. Joe Rogan, man. Dude, that guy knows so much. Yeah. That is the thing I, I think I admire most about him. He just knows a lot. Yeah. And when he's he like. He has the most random guest coming on. And sure, he does his homework. But, but he can keep a conversation. Yeah. Dude. But he also, he talks about reading and watching documentaries all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, where, he, do you, where do you have the time? Yeah. Even if he's not talking to the person about what their expertise is. Right. He'll be like, Jamie, pull this up. I read this about this the other day. Exactly. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's super cool. Yeah. Like, so. To me, that's part of personal development. Yeah. You know, I think fitness was just the, it was my impetus to continue growth. Totally. You know, I think that uh, now it, it spans on so many different things and it's like, and, and I think a part of it too, you have to be a very curious person. Joe Rogan's obviously a curious fucking person. Um, not everybody cares, which that's fine. I yeah. mean, there's nothing against that. I'm an extremely curious person. So I can't like hear a fact and not understand why. Like, I got to dig into it a little bit more and more and more. Um, I don't get FOMO. Like, I, I could care less about that kind of stuff, which I used to get FOMO really bad. Uh, but when it comes to knowing things, I, I really need to dive into it. So, like, if we're watching a TV show and there's a reference I don't understand, I'm Googling it and I'm yeah. looking and I'm reading and I'm trying to figure out what those things mean. And You know what I mean? Go down that rabbit hole. Um, to get the background behind things. And I think that's, I think that's just part of my nature, but fitness was the thing that opened, it almost like opened me up to who I really am yeah. as cheesy as that sounds, because that showed me that side of myself and it just, I don't know, it provided me a different lifestyle and perspective and path that I had never understood or witnessed or felt before. Just took off. Yeah. And yeah. it just, I got obsessed with it. Yeah. So fitness was definitely my impetus and that was losing weight. Really. It was just like starting to figure out how to try to lose weight. I failed a few times which everybody does. I mean, I tried fat diets, lost gain, lost gain. Um, and then once I got some attention from some girls at a party, there was no turn back. Yeah. It was like, they noticed. Yeah. I'm going in on this. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing for me as an 18 year old boy. It's like, this works. Yeah. Let's go. And then it was just, but then everybody went back to college and I was still at home and I was like, all right, well now what? <laughs> so, uh, study, 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 study. But, um, but yeah, that was my thing. That's dope. Yeah. 
All right, cool. There's one more here from Lynn also. She says, I've been thinking about timelines for change and what's reasonable to expect. Mm. What is the shortest time frame in which you have seen notable changes in a, in a client's fitness or physique? And what is the longest? What do you think accounts for those differences? Four days and four weeks would be the most generalized answer I can give that. And I think that now granted, look at four days is not enough to see tremendous changes. So don't get me wrong. However, there are people that just respond really quickly, you know? So I've had people where I change their diet. Uh, I just, I literally just was voice memoing one of my, uh, my latest, my newer WWE guys. He's down two and a half pounds and this is week one, Mm. two and a half pounds. And it's Wednesday. (laughs) So this is a perfect example. He's been doing it since Saturday, Sunday or Saturday. So it's literally been four or five days. Um, why? In his case, he's never done what I'm putting him through. So he has done things, uh, not necessarily incorrectly, because he lost a lot of weight, but he, he hit a plateau and he's never changed the way he's done things. So he's been doing the same thing for a long time. He's never done it the way I've done things. And the way I've, I'm doing things with him is a pretty dramatic change. So I think it's just like his I body's hate, reaction is just yeah, dramatic. Just, yeah. And I, I hate the word shock the body, but I mean, that's the best way to kind of you know, dramatic change is, is probably like in order to see dramatic change, you need to, re- you need to like make dramatic changes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think that that was the main thing. Um, and then the people with four weeks, it's their body's just extremely stubborn and that can come from them already doing what we're going to put them through, you know, but, but I do think like, uh, there's a few scenarios where people see dramatic change quick and that's either a, when we, we change things so dramatically that they, uh, their body responds quickly whether it continues to respond that fast or not is a completely different story and it's 50-50. It's very individual because it could be a rapid change at the beginning and then it's slow down and get normal or it can continue doing that for a while. Um, there's also people who see a, a pretty rapid change because they've just been really healthy and done things right. So they come to me and they're like, hey, I went through a cut a year and a half ago, reversed to maintenance, stayed at maintenance, went through a lean gaining phase. Biofeedback's great. I sleep eight hours a night. Stress is low. Like they're so dialed in that I'm like, oh, pff, okay, cool. Twist the dial. They just start losing weight, yeah. you know, and they eat the same thing every fucking day. So we know accuracy is perfect. Consistency is perfect. Um, so those people respond really well. Um, then we have the people who um, it's random. Sometimes they, uh, I would say, I wouldn't even say it's random. It's probably that the, the later half, like just super, super inconsistent, and then all of a sudden really getting consistent. I have somebody right now that has been dropping uh, anywhere between one to three pounds a week, but like closer to the two to three pounds a week range for a while. She's just crushing it, and we've been at it for six weeks, I think. We haven't changed anything this whole six weeks, and she's been she's losing every week. And she went from not really tracking, um, not really overeating a ton, but definitely probably overeating, not doing the right training. Like, again, I guess dramatic change, right? I mean, realistically. It's three categories right there. Yeah. And it was like, okay, stop doing the circuit training class. You can do it once or twice a week. You're going to do the app. You're going to do this four-day-a-week lifting class. Um, then you're going to do uh, macros, and we're going to do it right. You're going to be accurate. You're going to eat whole foods. Like, we changed a good amount of stuff, and she's just super consistent. Yeah. No matter what, consistency is the, the main factor. Um, cause even if somebody hits macros every day, super consistently, but their foods change constantly, we're going to see fluctuations from water retention due to different food groups. So even the person who is super successful with the numbers in the diet, they may not see that dramatic weight change right away because their body's retaining water because they're changing the food groups every day, which some people have to do for adherence. Other people just like to eat the same thing every day and it's easier for them. 
I think a balance between the two is probably best. Um, and then the people who take, I, I would say four weeks is usually when I see this, it's like three to four weeks and it's, it, their body's just stubborn. They've probably dieted multiple times before. Um, maybe they weren't in the best place before we started the diet. Um, and I've seen longer than this too. I've seen people be so stubborn that their body doesn't lose weight for even beyond four weeks. And sometimes it's inexplainable outside the fact of like, and people hate this, but your body's just stubborn, yeah. you know? And, and the reality is, is your body doesn't want to change, Right. If you're in this most common when somebody doesn't have a lot of weight to lose, so there's no reason to. Like from a physiological perspective, your body's like, why the fuck would I change? I'm not unhealthy. I'm not fat. I'm not, there's nothing wrong. I'm, I'm healthy. Yeah, I could cut a little bit of fat because you want to, but you don't need to. Mm. So when you want to, which is understandable, it's our mind saying, oh, I wish I was leaner, but your body's like, I'm healthy. I don't need to. It's going to put up every fight it can. It's trying to maintain homeostasis. It's not comfortable losing body fat. It's trying to sustain body fat because that's normal. That's where you're at. It's your set point right now. Um, And it can just take longer. And I think the biggest difference there is, again, if somebody's already pretty lean trying to get leaner, um, if somebody's dieted too frequently in the past, uh, or we can't really create much of a change. So if somebody comes to me, they've been dieting eight weeks, everything is fucking perfect, but they want to go further. I'm like, damn, this is hard because there's not much I can change here. Because you're already doing everything great. So all I can do is cut calories more, but maybe that person can't adhere to that. So we lose weight if they cut more calories, but we don't if they can't adhere to that. You know, so it's kind of a toss-up. But four to four days to four weeks is probably the range where I see most people. You know, like the worst case scenario is usually about four weeks not seeing change, and then four days is is pretty quick. Yeah. And it's not like they're dropping 10 pounds and looking ripped. It's just like damn, you're already down a few pounds. Like yeah. it's like, it's happening quick. Some of it might be water weight. Some of it might be fat, but they lose quick. Totally. Yeah. Cool. All right. That was the last question for today. We uh, keep them coming. We'll get uh, another one next week. And Yeah. As always, uh, there's multiple links in the description of this podcast. One of which goes right to the Facebook group. Add yourself there. It's free. We ask for questions every week. Another one is the Ask Boom Boom form. You can ask us any question, suggest any interview guest, or uh, suggest any topic that you want us to cover in detail in that form, and it'll come right to us so that we can implement it into the podcast. Um, And last but not least, as always, leave us a five-star rating and review if this podcast is helping you. See you later.